All right, and that draws our general section to a close. And now the moment I know all of you in this class have been waiting for, the Avatar Sexual Education course. For all of you wondering, yes, you can use your ponytail to have sex with anything on the planet. And I mean anything. So let's start with plant life. Uh, oh, what did did you have a question? Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, uh, been in this class a while. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. So when you say everything, you mean everything? Basically, anything that you can stick this ponytail into, you can have sex with it, or as the locals call it, zahalu. Oh, okay. So, so like a tree. Oh yeah, all the trees. I, you know, really, if you really want the best, go down to the forest and ask for Deborah. Interesting. Um. Okay. Okay. So, uh, uh, moving on. What about um, like the that those giant birds in the sky? I mean, if you want a little mile high club, certainly can go for it. Really? Just, just right in there. Okay. Okay. Giant birds, trees. I saw a river last week that looked pretty nice. Oh, river. I mean, 3,000 leagues under the D. If you really want to get in there, you can uh, flow in that ocean, if you know what I mean. Or as uh, a great great singer once said, rock the boat. All right. Uh, just one last question. Because this ponytail's, you know, getting crazy back here. And I, I just want to make sure I'm able to do these things. Like, so any other, like, Navi on the planet with the, their ponytail? You can stick it into a Navi. You can stick it into a bug. If you want some James and the Giant Peach action, you can stick it into, uh, let's see, probably a car. I haven't tried it yet, but why not? The only thing that's stopping you is... Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I was going to end that sentence. <laughs> can't save us. We don't want to be safe. You can't save us. We don't want to be safe. You can't save us. We don't want to be safe. You can't save us. We don't want to be safe. You can't save us. We don't want to be safe. You can't save us. We don't want to be safe. You can't save us. We don't want to be safe. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is the podcast where we Look at the white savior trope in film, deconstruct it, and then we recontextualize it through the lens of black and POC characters. And we have, we have, we have a movie, <laughs> a movie this week. Damn, bro, this is, I can't know, even I'm, hold it I'm, in. Look, I'm coming in hot. Uh, this movie awakened things in me that I didn't think were there in terms of my feelings about it because I only <laughs> saw this movie one time when it came out back in 2009 and I don't think I've really thought about it since then in any real larger way. And then rewatching it, I had to watch it over two days because it's damn near three hours. <laughs> now, now I just, it, it, this happens every time, whenever I go and start doing the research about these movies, like I just, I learn things and then it just, I have feelings, but anyways, I'm Jordan Clark. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Cameron Mason. And we have another special guest. Cameron, why don't you go ahead and introduce them? Uh, this is a good friend of mine, a filmmaker, uh, iconoclast. Ah. We got a, we got an artist in the building. We got a true artist in the building. This is a good friend of mine. I've known him for a, 
many years now, one of my good Brooklyn friends who doesn't live in Brooklyn anymore. Sadly, <laughs> we lost one. Parachute. <laughs> but uh, we got Rafi Rivero in the building today. What up? What up? Thanks for having me, guys. Really excited uh, for the pod. Really excited to lock horns on a few issues. <laughs> but well, you, I, I'm glad to actually have you here because you like this movie and here on white people won't save you we haven't necessarily like entered any of these films having presently liked them so like when we, ha- we did cool runnings sure we like cool runnings when we were kids yeah but we are grown humans now we're cool grown- runnings is it's fine. Like, I, you know, watching it back all these years later, I wasn't like, oh, my God. But, <laughs> it know, is like, literally just fine. It is so yeah. C plus. <laughs> yeah. And you actually fuck with Avatar. <laughs> I do. And, um, you know, I, I want to say one thing, because I think, you know, part of being like a black person and consuming media in our culture is like, there's just racist stuff that pervades everything right you know what i mean like like one of my favorite movies is pulp fiction and you can't tell me that movie isn't racist as fuck you know what i mean and so you kind of also have to have like the split consciousness of like a this thing is entertaining b like there's a a part of this movie that is actively hurting me and so like (laughs) you know like going back to i think one of my favorite authors is ernest hemingway and it's like you read his books and like every single book it just do this two page detour where he's just like bagging on black people for no reason. And then he'll come back to the book. And it's like you just have to if you like that writing, his style, whatever, you just have to accept like there's some absolute garbage in the middle of this thing. But like I can appreciate the craft in spite of that. And I mean, the old racist in the sea over there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, so it's like. I personally love Avatar. I'm not going to front, um, but it is like very much in the same genre as a dance with wolves. You know what I mean? As a, you know, what, you know, these movies, these white savior films, I mean, it is that genre. So I, I, I can't like, even like, I can't totally defend Like even the scene rewatching it where they're like, sorry, skipping ahead in the plot, but they're going back to the planet and, you know, they, you know, they bust out of jail and then like, my man is just like, he tells the Indian doctor, like, you wait here. I need somebody on the inside. And it's just like the one, like, openly dark-skinned brother and the whole cast, like, gets left behind to, to be, like, you know, the inside man. And I was just kind of like, that's what you have to deal with. So I yeah. love Avatar, but I will come for the parts that I don't love. That's, that's I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah, because this movie pretty blatant. How about that? We're going to start mm-hmm. there. This movie yeah. pretty blatant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got some takes, but I'm going to save them for after we we go over the the plot. But for those who don't know Avatar, uh, somehow <laughs> for those who didn't give James Cameron a fraction of two billion dollars, yeah, I mean it's I, like actually I'm not one of those people. I also I saw this movie. I stole. It. I snuck in. <laughs> Eat that. Well, Avatar Kynet. came out in 2009. This is the movie after Titanic, but it was like, it was like 14 years after Titanic. <laughs> like he yes, made this the movie. was James Cameron's first movie after Titanic that came and, 14 yeah. years after the fact. And he had allegedly, he says he'd been planning it since 1994. So it had been in production since before Titanic, but 
his reasoning is that he didn't feel like there was technology available to create the movie that he had in his head because since the inception of the idea he says that he always pictured it as a digital film like a movie that is mostly centered around computer animated and generated characters and environments and so after he saw i believe he says lord of the rings with Gollum, he was like oh like this is i can do this now this is a movie i can make so it starts production you know basically around 2005 2006 like they start working on the the language in 2005 and a lot of the pre-production stuff and then comes out in 2009 it is shrouded in secrecy for the like majority of its marketing campaign like when it's starting to come out because you know all people kind of know is James Cameron's making a big CGI movie basically and then uh, as it begins to come out like you know the excitement kind of goes up and goes down it's a little bit like with Titanic where people are like this is a big ass expensive movie like this is either going to be great or this is going to be a disaster like there's really no two ways about it and then what does it do when it comes out it is the highest grossing movie of all time (laughs) <laughs> and the previous highest grossing movie of time was his previous movie, which was Titanic. <laughs> so he beats his own record. This movie goes on to make $2.847 billion total at the box office. It oh my God, that's briefly almost $3 billion. It was briefly unseated by Avengers Endgame. And then sometime earlier this year, I think it was March, it got re-released in China and then it, it overtook it again. You know, so it's still currently the highest grossing movie of all time ever of any movie for that Navi, the Navi action (laughs) certainly were. And it is a movie that I think if if we can speak on this briefly before we get into it, like I'm trying to think of a movie (laughs) or just anything right in popular culture that I think has left a bigger void than avatar in the sense of like the cultural impact of avatar is nil right like the the technological impact of avatar very much so right like this movie set off a lot of things specifically in the video game world in terms of like face capture animation and all that stuff but like nobody cites avatar as like an inspiration for (laughs) you know a movie that they're making nobody is like yo let me quote you this thing from Avatar. Nobody <laughs> is like dressing up as Avatar for Halloween. Nobody like not like Avatar. Yeah, but maybe still, you had some of that the first year, but then they were definitely off that the next year. Right. To the point where I watching this movie was telling somebody that I was watching it for the show and they were they were making like ponytail jokes. And I was like, oh, yeah, they do have like sex ponytails. Like I've like like. A crazy thing like that is something you would think that you would remember, not forever, but like that would be like the thing you remember about this movie. I didn't remember that. (laughs) I definitely remember that. That was like the one actually legit. It was like one of the two things I remembered was the ponytails that link with like the horse creatures they ride with everything with everything, really. But (laughs) and the the tree sequence. Yeah, we chatted about. But. Rafi, I want to know, did you see this movie when it came out in 2009 in theaters? Yeah, so that was part of the thing for me in terms of like probably why I love it so much. I work in the film industry, have always admired, you know, 
the ability to make a movie that's like big, like for whatever that means to you, like that it's able to reach a lot of people, um, but then also on a technical level is an achievement. And so I saw it probably the first week, not the first weekend, but like very early at the Lincoln, uh, what's it, Lincoln, Lincoln Square. Some, some name like that. It's in, in Manhattan, 68th Street near Lincoln Center. It's a five-story screen. So yeah, that screen is crazy. enormous screen and saw it in 3D. This was the first 3D movie to come out in a long time. So when you just see it at that scale, like it just, uh, as somebody also aspires to, at the time I hadn't made my first feature film yet, you know, it's just like, well, I am so far as a filmmaker from that, that it, it, it was this kind of awe-inspiring thing of just uh, the scale of it. To me, even now, <laughs> I mean, we talk about the tree, is still just staggering. And yeah. um, and so that, that part of it impressed me the most. I, I think I only saw it one other time in the theaters, but uh, ended up seeing it, you know, ended up seeing it kind of, streaming you're right man like the as far as the cultural impact like nobody has once been like yo like let me make a scene like this in avatar dress up like you know even cosplay i've never seen a cosplayer as an obvious person so uh <laughs> yeah I don't think, it's it takes too much work honestly yeah it's a well, lot of work a lot of cosplay takes a lot of work and people do it they just <laughs> bro if i wanted to be like barrett from uh final fantasy i just put like some <laughs> some uh i don't know styrofoam under my shirt you know make a fake cardboard gun as an arm and we good to go like i'm black so half the work is already done <laughs> like as, if you're coming as an, a member of the navi you got to do full blue first of yeah. all whatever uh, fuck everything else sure you already got to do first full blue right and then you got the ponytail the sex ponytail okay but then you also have to have your you know whatever uh vibe accoutrement mm -hmm. uh you know you, you need a tail you need a you need uh you know like you got to make a whole like loincloth possible bracelets and beads and necklaces to hide your nipples you know like there's a lot going on in this kind i mean you know uh but you know <laughs> 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 um but you know i i i just so I, it is weird. Like I, I, it's like, it's a big movie that, that didn't have like a like impact your soul as much, but like at the same time, like it's a big fucking movie. Like you look at it yeah. and you're like, it's, yeah, it's, it's still, a big movie. Like, how did they it's unignorable. Yeah. It is the highest grossing movie of all time. I mean, that's what I, like, I keep coming back to that fact that this movie made more money than any other movie, but like people saw I mean, it people saw it repeatedly. yeah you know what i mean like when you look at i'm, I'm going to try to see if i can find it now when you look at the i mean this is for you know nerdy film people but this is what this podcast at, is all about <laughs> when you look at the subsequent weekends right so when you think about the box office of a film like the opening weekend is obviously like the biggest thing but then really what people are looking at is that second weekend right like right. what what is the dip between movies right so the opening weekend, it did $77 million. And then the subsequent weekend, it did $75 million, which is basically unheard of. Like, no yeah. movie does just as well. Yeah. Does, does um, astronomically well, and then does just as well the following weekend. It's like, yeah, that is unheard of. 
but then the following weekends it wasn't even like you know the third weekend was 68 million dollars and um that's like a good opening for anything (laughs) 68 million is like damn we did it joe you know like well then it because then it goes down like the fourth weekend was 50 million but then it comes back because it came out late december so then going into january caught on again yeah Yeah, mlk weekend so the fourth weekend which is oh the fifth weekend which is mlk weekend um it comes out and it does 54 million dollars so it bounces up four million dollars from where it was before so like when you say people did, like, saw this cross movie. promotion with the ghost of Martin Luther King or something like yeah, that, I don't know. It's, like... it's the pre Fortnite. It's, it's, uh... <laughs> it's the... <laughs> don't get me started on Fortnite. Anyways, so... <laughs> oh Jesus! Just to say that it wasn't a movie that came out and then went away. It came out and then, like word of mouth, people were like, "Yo, you have to see this movie. You have to see this movie." And they yeah. continued to build and snowball in a way that. But like most that's how you become the highest scores movie of all time, because most movies don't do that. They just kind of stop gaining traction after a while. You see it when it comes out. Maybe you see it again. That's it. Like I'm trying to think of movies that people besides like, you know, other cultural phenomenons, right? Like a Harry Potter or a I saw Black Panther like I went directly back to the theater to see Black Panther right the next week. Yeah, like a lot of Marvel movies, it's like, oh yeah, that's the thing. Oh, I'll see it yeah. again, or I'll see it like two or three times. Oh, I saw, I saw uh, Last Jedi like that. I went back to the theater to see Last Jedi like with an right. audience. I needed, I needed that experience again. Right, but even like big Hollywood movies or like you know Oscar winning films, like I don't think anybody saw Three Billboards multiple times. I you fucking I mean? saw Three Billboards <laughs> in the theater. I'm not happy about that. <laughs> I did too, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> Hey, who, know, who knows it might end up back on his podcast for real for real <laughs> we we might have to get into it but let's get into this movie which we could also just call whitey on the moon part two uh <laughs> after hidden figures because they they are pandora is a moon which is news to me <laughs> seen this movie again. but oh, man cameron i'm i'm gonna set you up we'll we'll get the timer going we tried to do this before We'll see if we can do it now. I think could we just call this segment uh, five minutes of white nonsense. Is that let's our, go, let's our, go our recaps it. of these movies? Five minutes uh, of white nonsense as quick as I can. So Cameron is going to attempt to recap the two and close to three hour movie of Pretty Avatar close. in five minutes. So we'll we'll see how close he gets. All right. And go. All right. So the year is 2054. Right. So this is like 130 years out from now. All right. So humans, like the the first 10 minutes of this movie, super fast forwards through any kind of like plot that's going on in this movie. The movie would start at one, but really we're starting at like 2.5, honestly. So you wake up the main our main character is Jake Sully, who is a Marine who has awakened in this future where they are riding from Earth out to uh, Pandora, which is a moon of Polyphemus, which is a gas giant in a, another star system somewhere. And uh, on this mission, Jake's brother, uh, crap, forget the brother's name. It's not uh, important. <laughs> it's not important. It's really not. Uh, the brother had died in the uh, in, in getting there. So Jake is this brother's twin brother 
and has the same genome. Why is this necessary? I'll tell you why. Because on this planet already is um, Dr. Grace Augustine, played by Sigourney Weaver, who has started a, you could say, missionary site, sort of, uh, trying to teach uh, a planet, this planet, this moon, the people of this moon, the Navi, the native people, the native people of this land, trying to teach them English, trying to teach them the ways of humankind, because these are bipedal creatures. They are humanoid creatures. They just are way more intrinsically connected to the planet that they inhabit than, say, humans. So Jake has the same genome. Grace has a machine that can import the, ah, how do you say, I guess, consciousness of a human into a Navi avatar. So Navi are blue. They are 10 feet tall, super strong. They got super strong bones and shit. And Grace, like literally, I don't even know how long we're in the movie until you're an avatar. It's like 15 minutes go by. Not even that long takes not even that much time is goes by. So Jake has now been imported into the consciousness of a Navi avatar, right? And, the, and his goal, his, his goal from Grace is to help continue teaching these people English, help uh, to, you know, create some sort of bond so that they can start talking about colonialist efforts, basically. And the since jake was a marine he also answers to a marine colonel uh miles i think his name is right that guy sucks he's like you know but for grace is like you know the hippy dippy you know hands across america let's help all the people meanwhile miles is like burn the forest down shut all that shit down and let's get these navi out of here and let's get these humans here to pandora so even though that humans can't breathe the air on pandora they still have to wear masks we're not going to talk about that on the planet in order to survive and uh so that's basically all the setup the plot kind of has a different machination altogether so basically once jake is in the navi body he starts helping grace with her mission but also getting information for a colonel on the side the colonel is obviously going to use this for colonialist efforts to mow down trees. Where do where do we find? Um, oh, because also, yes, this place is a uh, Pandora is rich with the resource unobtainium, which is a MacGuffin, if I've ever heard one of uh, uh, the main the home tree, which is a large tree on the planet contains the largest deposit of unobtainium on the planet and they need to figure out how to get in there so they can get that ore so they can get that money it's always about the money so anyway we miles uh miles's plan and grace's plan go to effect and jake is left in the middle as literally the people he worked for begin to colonize the area literally chopping down trees and mowing down and you know setting fire setting everything ablaze meanwhile this all was all happening while he was learning their ways while jake was learning the ways of the navi he was also falling in love with a that was five damn <laughs> it's a three-hour movie 
All right. So Jake was also falling in love with the the uh, lovely princess of the Navi, uh, Natiri. And, you know, he's falling in love with her. He's learning her ways. He's learning how to shoot a bow and arrow. He finds that he loves Natiri, but he screwed over his their entire people. And he comes to this realization a little too late, literally a little too late. He's literally about to be mowed over by one of their machines in the moment. Colonization starts to happen. Meanwhile, he falls in love with Neytiri, the beautiful princess of the Navi. While he falls in love with her, he, you know, gets lost in the bliss of, you know, he's lost in that. He's happy. Everybody's love happy. While he's lost in all that, colonization is literally happening all around him. At this moment, he realizes he has to stand up for the Navi people because they cannot stand up for themselves and rocks cannot fight machines, even though the Navi are like 10 feet tall apiece and could squash a human if they wanted to. Um, and after they burn the home tree, finding the unobtainium, it, they decide to strike back. And they strike back with giant sized bow and arrows and the wildlife of the people in a finale that's very reminiscent of uh return of the jedi honestly it's basically like return of the jedi i mean you know the the empire was there on endor we had the ewoks out here they weren't fucking with none of that shit the rebellion fused with the ewoks they took the shit down with rocks and bows and arrows and just like an avatar they take the machines down with bows and arrows uh, Jake Sully saves the day. Natiri wants to kiss him. Uh, there is some uh, body regeneration through trees. Uh, and boom, you wake up and you're an avatar. That's the end of the movie. Uh, I mean, there's so, so many little things that I may have missed, like, you know, MacGuffins in order to get from one place to another. But honestly, that is basically the movie. You're watching a three hour Fern Gully. Yes, I'm uh, sweating. <laughs> it's it's a lot. It's a lot to get into. I think for the I most think I did part, pretty good. I think that's like the base. That's like the oh, cliff notes. no, yeah, 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 for sure. And I think really, I think what what broke me. <laughs> I'm sweating, y'all. With that, <laughs> There's a lot going on in this damn movie. I got to change my shirt and shit. Yeah. Well, well, camera gets changed. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna change my shirt, y'all. What I think what what broke me about this movie is like when I finished watching it is it's it is everything you think it is in terms of all the influences that James Cameron cites for the movie in terms of like Pocahontas in terms of Dances with Wolves in terms of Fern Gully uh, there was another one that was just pretty blatant and. Last of the Mohicans. Yes, Last of the Mohicans. And it's just kind of like, at no point in the movie was was I ever surprised. Was there ever a turn that it was like, oh, that's interesting? Or was there something that I was like, huh, that's like not even a bold risk, but something that kind of inverts the formula. They just kind of, they just did it. They just did the White Savior movie start to finish with no, (laughs) no, no notes, no addendums, no. Like we're gonna change this or that. Oh and... no! This this is the Pocahontas story. The the movie is so blatantly the Pocahontas story. It it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, 
so i mean i'm not i don't i don't want to turn this into let's dunk on avatar uh that's what we're here for i'm not getting checks from him i I get no checks from james cameron we share name only (laughs) (laughs) what i really i really want to hear from you rafi in terms of like what is it about this movie that not just like you enjoy but you feel makes it like a good movie i mean i think there's several things i mean i think there's the underdog story which is just any movie uh you know jake sully you didn't mention cameron but he's in a wheelchair right and so he's somebody who's had his power stolen from him this is true this is true through accessing this other body he's able to run and move around uh you know who hasn't felt like they've been constricted by whatever forces in life that they can't control and that is a big theme of the movie you are very right i did i did miss that you get access to you know your full kind of uh your full potential yeah your potential through just some random means and and then to just kind of grow into that body so to speak to grow into that your potential you see that over the course of the story so i think underdog story is strong for me um but i would say the thing that i most am impressed with even all these years later is the scope of the world the world building itself so for instance like you know we're used to movies like uh lord of the rings we mentioned earlier or say a you know on tv there's game of thrones and everyone's like oh you know such a huge world like blah 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 and like the whole thing in hollywood all of marvel right it's pre-existing ip you know it's like somebody else wrote something that they already know is a hit and then they just make the movie version of the TV version of this. Avatar is different from that. Avatar is original IP. There's no, there was no pre-existing version of this world. So things um, like the size of the tree, like the size of the machines that cut down the tree, like the kind of robot boxing machines that they have, like the, you know, the style of fighting, the, there's so many things that are just inventive that just, he came up with. And then just on a purely technical level, like as a film person, there's certain things that are just really satisfying to me. Like there's just the UI of the computers were in the kind of mission control of the, you know, the army and they're, they're looking at, Oh, can you look at these readings? You know, they're doing that classic thing. <laughs> and then the guy swipes, it's like the minority report like swipes off the screen, but then he swipes it onto this like iPad, like piece of glass that he's carrying Yeah. So all this like thought into the world itself, like, like the physics of the world, the, the animals, like the, you know, the, just the even the bond that tail thingy that they had you know um headband thing uh sorry uh, uh <laughs> what's it called uh ponytail ponytail, the, the ponytail. yeah like like there's just all these like touches of originality that i hadn't seen before that not only were they original ideas but they were carried out and delivered cinematically in a really impressive way and uh I, you know you've we've seen like a million times like that kind of dog fight of all the planes fighting you know like star wars and and you know and and some of the marvel movies etc etc you know this motherfucker did it with like pterodactyl looking things you know what i mean like i never (laughs) seen it with with pterodactyl you know what i mean so like you know there is a kind of lack of originality say and like taking this white stare white savior trope um but to me like how each of those coins was flipped was really interesting. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of places that I think are 
like patently uninteresting. You know, like I think the unobtainium is the most the, the, the easiest one to talk about. The, That's most, it's so bad. It's, it's so, so bad because it's so obviously on its face. Yeah, and it's like even if they were like, yo, like you know, you know, B two U twenty four. We just would, call it unobtainium. Like even if they like made it try and, but they just like play to the lowest common denominator. There are like aspects of this film where they make things so obvious and on the nose that it, it kind of disrespects me as an audience member. Right. So like th there's that piece that, you know, there's like stuff like that, that I, I, I don't agree with uh, and lots of choices, but at the same time, like, uh, like that first scene when Jake gets off the plane and crosses the gangway to the army, yeah. Like when you when you enter the world, like I once snapped at somebody in a movie theater I was watching, um, <laughs> the Ridley Scott movie Prometheus, and like that was which was also in 3D, came out a year or two after Avatar, mm -hmm. and you know I was in the movie theater and like people were like were like like whispering and talking and checking their phone like while we were landing on the planet. And I snapped and I was like, "Put your phone away, please." Like to me, like that shit is real. Like. When you're entering a new planet, like you only get to do that one time. You know what I mean? So like, like that kind of getting off the plane, crossing the the airfield, you know, there's that corny line where the guy's like meals on wheels, you know, um, uh, <laughs> as, as Jake rolls by, it's like felt so seductive and complete. Like I really got where I was and, you know, like any James Cameron movie, you're going to get like the army, you know, leatherneck guys, cracking jokes i mean that's just like a, a trope of his own work i mean and, honestly he yeah. played he played the hits from aliens like yeah. for the first 30 minutes of the movie yeah and the abyss you know what i mean and the abyss know, it, it's that's just his style so you're you're kind of getting your cameron fix you know but right. at this epic scale at this kind of um like like imaginative place that uh you know and and, and part of it was like how am I going to really, how is the CG going to work? Is it going to work in 3D? And it all fucking works. It all works perfectly. Oh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like that part of it was like, wow, this is really impressive. And I just kind of stayed in that impressed state for the three hours. Mm. Cameron, I want to throw it to you. Uh, mm. what, are, what are your just general impressions upon watching it? How many times have you seen Avatar? Is this... So research for the this podcast makes it two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say I remember my the time the first time I saw it very vividly. I had gone to see uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox at the Union Square multiplex. So the the big one in Union Square uh, was like fourteen theaters, I think. And I went to see Fantastic Mr. Fox on you know very meager screen, but wow that's a that's a fun movie mm -hmm. like a fun clean movie i would love to show my kids or something like that you know what i mean and i went to go see this with a very grumpy ex-girlfriend of mine uh who had to go to work actually right after the movie and i was like oh they're seating avatar right now we should just sneak in we can just walk over there and grab glasses this is obviously pre-covid where you could just like grab 30 glasses out of the bin and just put them on uh, so I sneak into the theater. I grab the glasses. She goes home. We break up three years later. That means nothing. Uh, I <laughs> sit in maybe the sixth row of the theater. And this is the big one at their at the Union Square Theater. I saw this on their big screen. And good Lord, <laughs> 
I'm I enjoyed Fantastic Mr. Fox. I didn't love Avatar coming out of it, but I do remember being just awestricken. Like, I don't think it's the first part. You know, I, I get I get I love how you said you can only enter a world once. And I get that feeling literally every time I watch any new sci fi movie. I like I love. I love going to new planets in like a Star Wars movie. I'm just like, oh, what's going to be here? And is it like an ice planet or is it like, what's going on? What's the society like? I love that kind of shit. And you get all that in Avatar. You get all that and then some kind of because you also get like what human culture might be like in 150 years from now or 100, you know, 110 years from now, whatever. Um, And I thought that was kind of cool. I thought like the technology was cool, like you said. But I remember the two moments that I was like, holy crap, I think I'm watching something new. And I don't know if we're ever going back was like the first time he connected with the pterodactyl or like the the animal that only Ikran. you only the what? Ikran. The Ikran. Yes. Oh, yes. Please give me that terminology. <laughs> <laughs> so the first time he links with the Tehran and they kind of do that swoop where he goes directly down the flying mountain I was like oh shit this is like the you know the trench run in Star Wars this is that I mean people might want to hate on it maybe call me call me you know call them cynics or whatever but I, I really thought there's like this was new you don't see camera angles like that even in CG and then there was the the home tree burning sequence that's just like if you see it in 3d and you're sitting on the floor seats you're not looking like directly at it you're looking up at it if you're looking at those sequences it's it's like that's what it is that's the that's that feeling everybody talks about like the magic of the movies like it's in that movie it's right there that's pretty pretty crazy it's sad that it's like an entire society's like major resource being like burned <laughs> in front of their faces and it's like a harrowing sequence of traumatic like levels for these people but it is like kind of crazy to see it happen because the tree actually falls down on them as they're running so there's like I and I noticed this in my second viewing but you notice that like the color grading gets different because it's not a sunny it's not sunny. You can't see the sky. So after a while, it, the sequence becomes orange and then it becomes brown and then it becomes gray. And you're like, oh, that is that what that would look like in real time? Like, Jesus. I mean, it, that's incredible to even like portray on screen, let alone watch, you know. Mm -hmm. So despite all my like, you know, hemming and hawing with the plot and with like the ease of which he just ripped the Pocahontas story and just put it into something else. It's still a feat. And it's still a feat. Like you watch it in 2021. It's still like, damn, they did that. They, they did the work. So it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with Avatar as like a net positive. But I, 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 I ah, man, I've seen too many Claire Denis movies. I enjoy the films of Barry Jenkins. I've, I enjoy too much art to see this and like be like fam like you blatantly ripped from colonialist stories that exist to just glob onto a plot that you were just like okay sure sure as long as we can like film it 
and like IMAX and da 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 da. You know, it's kind of like the meeting of two minds, and it feels a little cheapened, especially with like the bits of unobtainium and the you know the ease with which these actual things that you know the actual American myths mm-hmm. are just like literally plopped down into this, and it's so obvious. Uh, that that part I struggle with, and I still struggle with in this viewing. Well, get ready for a drop. <laughs> so, hey, <laughs> I got I got some hot takes. <laughs> I, I need y'all. I need y'all to know my boy hit me in the text <laughs> this afternoon. I got these takes, man. I got yeah. these takes for this movie, man. So. First take, Avatar is like the James Harden of movies in the sense that James Harden, if you, if I'm going to, I'm going to try to make this as general for people who don't know sports and basketball, but James Harden is a basketball player currently plays for the Nets in Brooklyn. Um, two things he's most known for. He's known for kind of reinventing the move, the step back jump shot where he, you know, dribbles and takes a step back and shoots. Right. Everybody does it now. Like every single basketball player does it. It's an essential part of what you have to do if you want to be an NBA player. He's maybe the best at it. It's like his patented move, right? Second thing he's known for is flopping endlessly to draw fouls and making basketball almost unwatchable, specifically when he was in Houston. (laughs) That is Avatar. It is a movie that you have to respect for its legacy in terms of right. its technical efficiency and what it ushered in because after avatar every movie had to be 3d after avatar i think like four or five of the next best cinematography academy award winners were for digital photography uh, we, like, we literally got maybe eight years close to 10 years of 3d spectacle in the theaters yeah. as a result of this specifically it it is groundbreaking in that sense and so to say that avatar ain't shit right like you got to give it some credit if you're if you're going that far like you're being disingenuous about what it did for film and again specifically even like the the technology that james cameron invented in terms of like the facial motion capture stuff i mean that's how you get a thanos that's how you get you know all of these things in the modern day right Mm. It was a struggle to watch this movie for me on the second time through. And I think that's that's where I get the, you know, but it's just like to me personally, it was not an enjoyable film experience, specifically because there was very little character in this movie. Right. Like this. This is my second hot take. This is the worst and longest episode of 90 Day Fiance I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) The basic plot of this movie is that Jake Sully is a Marine who gets sucked into this thing that he doesn't want to do. He's doing it for the memory of his dead brother. And I guess, cause he needs a check and we're going to get into this in just a second, just like the implications of him literally becoming another species in order to ingratiate himself into their culture. There's a lot of stuff going on with that, but it's not until he's like, yo, who's this girl? 
right? That he's like, maybe there's something in this for me because you can't convince me <laughs> that if Zoe Zaldana's character was not in this movie that he would give a shit about any of the Navi. Like he did not seem to care about anybody but her. That was it. That was the only one that he seemed to have any investment in. I mean, I don't know how much he cared about her. If, if we're going to if we're going to go about <laughs> the if we're going to do this, let's do it. I don't yeah. know he, how much he cares about her. Why is that? <laughs> what, 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 what makes you say that? Let me, well, let me... Well, well, OK, so like he does all the work to infiltrate the Navi, right, to ingratiate himself with the group. But then they're attacking Pandora, right? His plan the whole time, at least through, through his reports, are to attack or at least infiltrate to a point that his superiors can then attack. That is the goal. Mm -hmm. Right. So how could you care about somebody that you're eventually going to displace, maybe kill? I mean, I will be through somebody else, but, but that's, the, that's the classic, you know, undercover cop story. You know what I mean? It is like, are you with us now or with them? You know what I mean? Like that's like every undercover cop movie that you've ever seen has, you know, Donnie Brasco, you know, has like the person. So who, you're saying Jake Sully is the Donnie Brasco of Pandora. I mean, I think, it, you know, he's in deep and like, I think like she saves his life, you know, a few times that first night, you know, when he has sure. to make it through the night and like, he realizes the power and, you know, I mean, look, the movie's corny. Like, he realizes <laughs> the power of love. Like, I, honestly, the James Harden take, um, um, that's impressive. Because that's, that's kind of how, that perfectly encapsulates how I feel about, about Harden, but also um, the film itself. Like, it is, like, there's so many, like, I was, I finished the movie and I was like, is there a single good line in this movie? Like, I was looking for it. I was waiting for at least one good, real good quote. Yeah, and it, it is not. And it's like, all right, like this movie is like a paper cutout of a movie in a lot of respects. But it's just like the paper cutouts are so goddamn seductive, like good looking. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like when Matisse yeah. started doing paper cutouts when he couldn't paint anymore. You're like, Damn. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this person is is like a wild, talented paper cutout person. You know what I'm saying? But like when you look at the when you lift the paper off the, you know, the, the collage, is just like a thin piece of paper. And that's how I feel about the characters. Like there is no depth to Michelle Rodriguez's character. Like oh. there is no oh. depth, you know, like Grace, like Sigourney Which, Weaver brings a lot of depth. You know what I mean? The cigarette smoking, just her gravitas as a human being. Yeah. Like, that's the one person where you're like, Oh my God. Like it might've been written as this wisecracking. It's a classic James Cameron heroine, by the way, like, something that could have been written for a guy that is cast as a woman, like mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. Sarah Connor, like tough talking, you know, shit talking ass kicker who, who, who's this crazy scientist who has like low key, like a little bit of heart and who evolves and, and kind of comes around to like respecting Jake and what he can do. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought that relationship between Jake and, and her was probably even more interesting than the relationship between Jake and Atiri. I uh, agree. I actually 100% agree with you right there. To one of you, I think it was, uh, uh, was it Jordan had the point earlier, like, I haven't seen a single new thing in this movie. There's nothing that surprised me. And yeah. uh, I, I feel the same way that there's no part of it other than that first flight on the Ikran which is one of the most beautiful scenes I've seen in any yeah. movie. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just it, the lushness of the score 
the feeling of flight, which I think is the thing that all human beings innately want for some reason. It's it's what they open the movie with, actually. It's mm-hmm. they open the movie with Jake in voiceover talking about how he woke up from a dream yeah. and he was flying. And, and that's and it's referring to that moment. Yeah. yeah. And that that scene to me is pure cinema and like you sure. can't talk shit about that scene. Agreed. But like you know, when we're talking about character depth, character development, it's it's kind of like yeah, you know what I mean? It's it, it is. Oh, very yeah. I, I actually want to I want to get this out of the way real quick before we go on. I kind of yeah. want to talk about the Jake Sully of it all. Look, I've got thoughts, but I want to hear what you got to say. <laughs> all right, we can go. Let's go. Let's go. Because that's what this is about. Oh, OK. So, look, this is <laughs> this is this is what I just like could not get behind and what kind of because when you make Jake the main character of this movie, mm-hmm. This is what I'm supposed to invest in. This is what I'm right. supposed to get behind. The literal premise of this movie is so unnerving and so think about this, right? Like we're, we're, we'll do micro macro, right? So think about this. Think about because this is how it's presented to us. They are going to create fake Navi people using human and Navi DNA. Well, they already did. They already com- did. Combine them movie, together. They did. <laughs> right. You are going to link your mind into it and then go up to actual Navi people and talk to them and interact with them as if you are one of them, right? Imagine, and the Navi know that you are not one of them, right? They know that you are a human being in a Navi body. Imagine no. being at a cookout and a black person <laughs> walks up to you that you know is a white person in a black person's body and tries to get in on the spades game, right? Like, that's wild. Imagine, <laughs> in the macro, though, imagine if aliens came to Earth disguised as humans, but you knew on site that this is not a human, that this is an alien pretending to be a human <laughs> for the efforts to do whatever. I mean, you assume they're trying to do something nefarious, otherwise they would not be... <laughs> dressed up as a yeah but they're like wearing humans as a suit so like this is like them wearing navi as like a costume like it's literal like a literal costume that he's walking into these people's like homes with and just like like hello fellow kids to them (laughs) you know what i mean and it's just like that's insane like uh i'm forgetting the the other character's name who is um, played by my man from the boys. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Lazo in this movie. Yeah. Tutsi. Tutsi. Like, Tutsi on site is like, these are demon people. He's like, <laughs> get them away. We these don't white want them. Men, these white not, men have come to hurt us. We do not want them here. And I was, I'm right there with you. Like, I'm right there with you. I'm going to play. Where is, where's my drop? Uh, <laughs> and you don't even go here. You don't go here. You don't go here, Jake. You are not one of the people. But then, so here's here's why this movie is so wild and so insidious and so crazy. Because as Jake continues to go in and and ingratiate himself into the Navi people, right? This is not culture, right? Like basically, what it is is a series of video game side quests where he has to like <laughs> learn how to shoot a bow and arrow, learn how to ride. Uh, you know, one of the the pterodactyl creatures, like learn how to do this. There's never any moments of like community, right? Like that's not how you 
become part of a community. Like if I had to learn how to say the ABC backwards and ride a skateboard, and that's how I became your friend. Like there was no, you couldn't deny me then after I had like accomplished this series of tasks. Like that's not how that works because he's not like hanging out with these people. He's not, he doesn't, he does not learn the language. He's there for what they say is three months. And at the end of the movie, he's like, yo, can you translate this uh, big speech for me as I'm about to deliver? Like he, he can't speak Navi to any of these people. Like, even though he, he learned it in the montage, he did learn. He, he did learned, learn, he, he learned, learned enough like to get a by. little bit. Right. Like he learned like Don Diasta, El Bano, right? Like he's got that down, but he doesn't have like any yeah, of the my, actual. Yeah, my man knows Petit Francais. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, and then they rightly tell him to get the fuck out because he is he is the Takashi 69 of the Navi people like he just snitches <laughs> them out and then they're like yo you have to leave because you because you did the thing that we thought you were going to do <laughs> yes and then what does he do he jumps on a bigger pterodactyl comes back and is like i'm your king now like crown me <laughs> i run shit now and that, how how nefarious is that right like he learns this cultural fact about them that there's only been you know a handful of people that have ever done this thing and like that kind of is like the greatest thing you could do you know in navi culture is like you know ride yeah. one of these and he's like well you know i fucked up and i did everything wrong you know what? Let me jump on this big bird and then like I don't have to apologize. <laughs> I can just come back and they can't say shit about it. And they don't. They're just like, oh, you rode the giant pterodactyl. I guess you're. Yeah. You know, and then uh, oh boy, who was the, the new leader dies and he's like, I guess you're the leader now. And it's like, what? <laughs> this guy is responsible. Like Zoe Zaldana's character is like back on 100% with him he killed your father like he's the reason your That's dad true. is dead and you're like ah uh, you know what though like that tale was pretty good like I guess I gotta get back with that for whatever reason like it's just wild how many not like just chances that he gets but it is when you think about the white savior tropes specifically in this instance where it is you know like white outsider becomes one and gracious himself with this culture like it's not he like ingratiates himself like he is the best he is the best navi that has ever lived period ever like he he he, he seamlessly is better at everything than, than any other navi has ever been like he he gets the um that that link with the the pterodactyl creatures like instantly like it's just it's not even an effort even when he'd like the big one right like that scene is literally he jumps off the one that he's riding onto the other one cut and then the next scene he's riding it in like there's no nothing it's right? a there's dramatic no reveal my man that's what you call a dramatic reveal like we, we, we start with the we know that he we already have established that he can you know ride any cron so we don't need to see him do it with the bigger one and it's a much bigger scene when he lands in the big score i don't have a problem with but the they're telling me that yeah. only five in the history of this entire civilization have ever done that but that's the point. It goes to speak to his <laughs> his literal his ex exercise potential in this body. I got yeah. that. I'm cool with that. I but mean, then, you know, I, think, I think I think you know it's like 
to me, like the training sequence, which I'm a big fan of training sequences, going back to Rocky, going back to whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. You got to have those. That's but like, stuff. It's, it's, you know, he's a Marine, right? He's a, he's a warrior. So like to him learning how to do the bow and arrow and shoot the bull from the, the Quran is like next level, like, you know, taking my Marine brain and applying it in this like, you know, <laughs> diverse new way. You know what I mean? Like I, I thought that was like very much in line with this character. And like, there's the one scene with like Tsutse and like Natir, and they're all flying on the Krans. Oh yeah, yeah. And sure. he looks over at my man, and like that was the community. He's like, "Yo, I'm, 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 I'm on wing with the, the brothers, <laughs> and we're in formation." He dapped uh, him up. He dapped him up. But like, you know, it. it <laughs> Hey, this movie is like there's like 45 minutes of this movie that's basically like black like me, you know, <laughs> like, like he came in there. He was like, I know y'all know it's not for real, for real going on in here. But like, let's let's try it out. <sighs> My God. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm just I'm I'm really struggling because like he doesn't it's like pick a pick a Adam Sandler comedy, you know, in the 90s. Right. Where it's just like you're telling me that he changed but he's really the same character that he was at the beginning of the movie it's just that he did one good thing he did a good deed and now you trust him (laughs) yeah you know what i mean because that's basically jake do we assume that jake is any more empathetic or understanding or like i you know however you want to like you know conceptualize what a better person is but he's just got he's just got a girl now like he's just he's got a reason he's invested in this one particular thing but like you never see him again like when you talk about culture this is what's just so i don't understand james cameron seemingly (laughs) did so many things right like created a language did all this other stuff to kind of like invest but when you think about culture like is like shooting bows and arrows i mean it's like such a literal like i watched a a cowboy movie from the 1950s and i know what native americans are like like this is like like (laughs) i just i you know it could be a stereotype but i just assume canadians have like a bigger appreciation for the natural world than americans particularly city dwelling americans so that may not well be in his character i don't want to i don't know but does jake have a larger appreciation for, for the natural world at the end of this movie or does he have a larger appreciation for I just how think, his tail connects to well, I just think, you know, if you go back to like my personal least favorite scene in the whole film is that in the bar at the very, very beginning when it's just Jake Sully and he's in the wheelchair and he sees like the guy manhandling the woman and he goes and gets in a fight with the guy, right? He bumps oh, his yeah. wheelchair and then starts a fight with the guy. And so you see like Jake Sully is a guy who will stand up for against a bully you know, stand up for somebody who maybe can't defend themselves, whatever, against the bully. Like he's willing to do that at great personal risk, even when he's a nobody, even without the avatar body. Right, right. So that character is Jake Sully, who he is at the end. It's just like now he's like fully empowered with legs that work. So if you know that, like, I, kind of I hear what you're thing. saying. Yeah, I hear what you're saying there, and I think the argument here is I think you're getting character confused with motive. Because it seems like his character, like you said, his character would go to bat for the underdog, would go to bat for the little guy, even when his legs don't work, right? But what he does do through the movie, at the whim of other people, mind you, also. These are at the whims of Grace and at the whims of Miles at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we, the audience, and I feel like this is where the confusion is coming in, is like, 
well, who do you really stand for, bro? Because you wouldn't be in this situation unless you were still taking information for miles, right? Yeah. You wouldn't even like ingratiate yourself with, with the people unless your end game was to literally like evict these people from their home, right? Because that's what you're doing it for. You're not doing it to, I don't know, make new friends. Like, you know what I mean? You're not doing it to like extend the royal empire into space. You know what I mean? I just, I, let me, let me just, let me approach it a different way because I think like, like he has that confusion. There's a one scene where like, you know, the, the, the Miles comes back and he's like, yeah, we're going to kick these savages asses. And he's like, he's like, yeah, sir. But you can see in his face, he's like, Oh God, like what have I gotten myself into? Like that was the first, that was like a yeah. really fine piece of acting in that one scene by Sam Worthington where you could see like the dissociation between what his body was doing and what he was saying. But mm. like, I think like, that's just a problem with this narrative, right? Like, like James Cameron has created a movie about extracting a natural resource and guilt about it, you know, mm -hmm. via people. Right. And, and like, that is like, to me, like the greater problem with the white savior narrative and all these films is like, Oh, we're supposed to love a white character who like, essentially did the right thing who's who has who comes around to a moral point of view that that's more similar to this oppressed group and yet the films are always about like the destruction of that thing like the the moral weight of the film requires the the kind of crushing of this kind of culture that doesn't have the same attainment whether it be technological or what have you and it's like like that narrative it, you just see it all the time. It's problematic. It's it's like, why make a movie about that? You know what I mean? Like we need to see the destruction of home tree in order to feel the moral weight of, of like Jake's decision, but also right. like, like why are we kind of pornographicizing or whatever violence against people who, who, you know, oppression. Right. And like, like I said, it's the centerpiece of the movie. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's dead center in the movie. It's maybe the sequence where I feel like the most uh, cinema, like the most the, the most detail is paid to cinema in that sequence. Uh, I mean, amongst a couple others, but like this is the, the it's the it's the visual and emotional centerpiece of the movie. It's the yeah. turning point in the plot. Yeah. So it's it's literally the thing you're supposed to focus on is the violence against these people. Yeah. is the act of violence against yeah. these people and the spectacle of it you know and and like i'll, I'll give and the him spectacle credit. of it yeah i'll give him credit because like i remember watching i can't remember where it was i think it was the second avengers movie and like the reason when i when i checked out of like real serious marvel land is because i saw like it's like there was a batman movie and then there was like a uh you know a marvel movie and both of them like and one is like a year after one another and they both like destroyed the Brooklyn Bridge. Like that was going to be like the big like centerpiece of the movie. Like the bad yeah. guys are taking over, blowing up the Brooklyn Bridge, right? And <laughs> so, like this kind of spectacle of destruction is kind of used. In that case, was used in both those films to me was used in a very cheap way, right? And especially oh, yeah. like New York 9-11, like please don't fucking destroy our fucking iconic structures for just like a little five minute gag in your in your superhero movie like have something to say with it right and like both of those films like destroyed the same structure in this very cheap way that you don't even remember what it looked like you can't even you know years later you have no idea you just remember oh there's a big explosion and the avengers came and saved the day here yeah. i will give james cameron credit 
that the emotional pain of this kind of massive destructive moment is moves the character changes the story like you do feel and remember it years later it's one of the iconic scenes of the film so mm -hmm. like he didn't do it in a cheap way at the very least but like why is it that we depend on it's kind of like invoking hitler in a conversation right you say oh well, hitler did this blah, blah blah and then it's just like the conversation is kind of over by the, by the time <laughs> you get to that point. it's like right. the same way with this is like all right like we're just going to do the most spectacular destructive thing we can think of and and that'll get you to care about this story and like it, it to me like if that's what your movie relies on then it's a failure like much further up the chain than like the color correction on the color of the sky. Like mm -hmm. You got it. Cause like from a craft perspective, like it's incredible the way the sky turns gray and the orange haze. And like, I mean, and the it's music a, and like, you know, it's the, incredible. It really is really incredible to watch. Um, but yeah, but yeah, but like, if we're just talking like straight up, like why do white people keep making movies where they're killing black people? You know what I mean? In this case, white people and blue people, it's like, yeah, I got a problem with that. Let's go. Like, why is it they do that? And they keep <laughs> making movies where they save us, <laughs> where they literally save because that's well, because here's the last Jake Sully thing I have, um, at least for time, is that uh, <laughs> like the unspoken thing about how the avatar body works is that at any given moment, right? Like Jake is never in any danger ever. Right. Like if his avatar body dies, he just goes back to his body. Like he'll it's wake not a big up deal. in his body. Yeah. Um, and it is like, I don't, I, I will not give James Cameron credit for this because listening to how he has talked about this movie, I don't think this was a conscious choice that he was making, but it is literally a visual depiction of how white people can inject themselves into other cultures and then at any given moment when it's no longer beneficial for them, just leave. Yeah. And then you're white again. And then everything's fine. You know what I mean? You're and 100% like, right about that. <laughs> it, it, it's not lost on me either when I yeah. watch the movie. It's kind it's, of a visual thing, honestly, because you're like, they're in the body. You'll see them with the Navi people. And then for some reason in the movie or whatever, you know, they were checked out or they hit the red button and they're zooted, zooted back into their brains. Yeah. And in that moment, you're like, oh, yeah, they can just plug in and plug out. Yeah, he, he can know? just play culture, right? Like he can just play Navi for. I mean, honestly, know, that first sequence, I mean, I know it's I know I know what the movie is trying to say to me when it's like he wakes up in the avatar and he's like, oh, my God, I have legs. And then he like yeah. there's this whole sequence where he just like is so excited and so uh, so excited in the body and trying to get figure out his his whole way in it because the mm -hmm. Navi are like 10 feet tall and super strong and so he's like trying to figure out the extent of the body and he like runs out of the the facility and down the you know street and eats some fruit and he's like this fruit is delicious yeah and but all of that i know it's because he didn't have legs before and now he has legs but to me it just felt like like a white kid playing a video game of a black guy just being like oh my god i can jump so high now i can just like i can just do whatever i can like run forever yeah. i could i could dunk basketballs i can like do whatever you know i could rap you know <laughs> it's like it's all of that it's it, it's all of that though it's like cosplaying colorness it's cosplaying yeah. 
the uh, act of being in another, bo- of being in a colored body, of a body that can do things that you yours literally can't. And I can't, I can't like be blind to that. Even if in the narrative is literally like he had legs, he didn't have legs and now he has legs. Right. It still looks, you know, what it looks like to me. Cameron, imagine that same scene you just described, except at the end, he just bites into a watermelon and looks straight oh, to the camera. And, <laughs> and just like the big grin, like from a fucking Hanna-Barbera cartoon, just like a watermelon grin, like, ah! you know? Oh, man. That's, but that's it, though, right? Like, we're, we're getting this situation where, I mean, it's basically, you know, Jake Sully studies abroad, right? And then he gets to come back and tell you about his summer in latin america where he you know he <laughs> ate some interesting food and like learned just the barest amount of spanish and, and, and fell like, and fell in love and fell in love with one woman. of the native native girls yeah what you do when you travel <laughs> I, I, I hate to tell i had to break it to you guys but you guys aren't traveling if you're not falling in love <laughs> i hear that i hear that man but that's just yeah i mean it's it with the white savior trope in and of itself, like they really just at a certain point decide to turn Jake to 11. And like, we're just, I guess we're just doing this now. Um, But it really is at the, at the drop of a hat. It happens after, I mean, honestly, like we just said, the weight of that scene is incredible. However, his motives turn on a dime and he is literally like now the leader of these people, even though, even though he can't even speak the language, he's like, fam, fam, translate for me. I got to talk to everybody right he's, now. He's like, the leader of this of this people to the extent that he unites all of the disparate tribes. Imagine if Malcolm X was a dude named Malcolm Greenfield, <laughs> totally Jewish, just showed up one day and was like, I got liberation for the black people. I know how to do it. Hold up. Hold up. Talk, uh, Elijah, Elijah, talk for me real quick. Yeah. Elijah Muhammad, talk, talk for me real quick. I got to talk to everybody like well, that. That's what that is, though. The thing that just you it just completely ignores this fact is just wild is, again, not only did he just cop to snitching on them to the military. This is one of the reasons why all of this happened. Not only did he was he responsible for the leader of this tribe dying in a horrific you know, event, he is still literally not one of them. I mean, that's the thing that I just can't get past is like literally is in the, it's something that I just, I wasn't paying attention to all of this stuff, but people have noticed this when you watch the movie is that the avatar bodies have five fingers and the Navi bodies have four fingers. Right. Mm. And so like, it's just, he's not you. And you know that he's not you, you know, that he's not, one of your people and i can't stop thinking about like think about it right if you are a white south african right technically yes you are from south africa technically you are south african but when you think about the history of south africa and the indigenous people of south africa you are not south african in that way it's different you are separate from that culture and from those people even though there are certain cultural things that may come across like you are it's not the same thing you are you come from colonizers who came there and took over the land and then now you also live there too but the people who originally lived there (laughs) are still there right and so like you can never be like yeah we're the same because you're not you're not the same you're not the same people or even like you and me cameron right like I did not grow up in Baltimore, right? Like I've lived in Baltimore for 11 years. 
I would cons- I would if people ask me where I'm from, I'd say I'm from Baltimore. I lived in Baltimore almost half of my life at this point, right? Yeah. I'm not from Baltimore like you're from Baltimore, though, right? Like I could never claim to be from Baltimore in the same way that somebody who was born and raised in Baltimore is. And if I did, I'd be lying, right? Like it's not, we're not, it's not the same experience. So like for him at the end where he's making that speech and he's like, we're not going to let them take our land. He says it. He says it. Who is us? Who is we? He says it, bro. He says it, bro. He (laughs) definitely says our land, bro. How what you are you gonna, talking about? How are you not going to let Jake Sully be the Barack Obama of the Nazi people? <laughs> like, that's just what's so infuriating to me. It's just like, like let me be not, great, yo. Let me be great. Not, you're not one of them. You're not. But let, but let me be great, though. But just let me be great, though. But, but, I mean, but I, you know, to me, I, I just think of it like, all right, like on a philosophical level, it's like how, how, look, we do have to figure this thing out, like as black Americans, right? This isn't our fucking country. But if we go to Africa, that's not our fucking country either. Yeah. And it's like yep. confusing. You know what I mean? That's what the movie right. Sankofa is all about that. You know what I mean? That's and the paradox. Like, that That is the paradox of being black in America. It, and it's right. like, so either we claim this thing, right? Which, you know, like is met with kind of scoffs, you know, within black community or with a kind of eye roll kind of thing. Sure. Or we like, keep our arms folded across our chest. Like we're different, like stay back, you know, or, in, and then you don't feel comfortable. Like, like I'm, I'm like a, a dude, somebody put like cheese on my car the other day. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, slap some cheese. And I know it had to be some teenager and a white teenager. And I'm just like, you know what? Like people don't even want me in this neighborhood right now. You know what I mean? And it just, and it's like, so this will never totally be like my country. Right. Right. Except it's the only future I have, you know what I mean, and and like, how do we tell stories about that that kind of bending around the corner and like bleeding in the, the intersection of things? Like, we haven't, as a cinematic culture, devised a language to talk about that, like to find a positive vision of cultures coming together to achieve a common good. Mm. I think part of it is because it's always from these tropes of the white savior. It's always like like this kind of navel gazing white guilt thing of like, what if we didn't attack these people just to extract their natural resources, but instead buddied up with them. Like that's the only story we've seen because it's like come from this, to me, that narrative comes from a white kind of guilt complex about like being in America itself, you know, like what's the, you know, I'm like, I'm from Massachusetts. You know what I mean? That's that's an Indian word, you know, every, all of our words, all of our states, (laughs) you name it, you know what I mean? Are all these Indian words, you know, Native American words. So like, there's just like this kind of inherent guilt built into our storytelling. And Mm -hmm. like, I believe that people and cultures do find ways to mix, to overlap, to exchange electrons, exchange information. But we sure. haven't had a story that tells it in a way that I feel like is satisfying to me as a person whose culture I have seen taken away many, many times, right? And right. and like, that's what you get with avatars. You get the white version of the story. And like, uh, you know, again, and I'm not mad at it, like going back to this dual consciousness idea, like just as a pure story, like guy doesn't have legs, gets his legs, figures out who he is as a warrior and, and fights the biggest enemy he could ever come up with, which is his own people, right? Like that, that's, that's kind of like an interesting enough story. It's just that like it uses us as like the ballast, you know, in, in the yeah. story. I'm 
self-identifying with the Navi people, but like there's got to be another way, another style of Tori you can tell about culture exchange that isn't about destruction, that isn't about extraction, that isn't about like, you know, just, I, I don't know, that that thing that seems to pervade at the kind of Western worldview. And I don't know who's going to make that movie, um, but I hope somebody can do it and that they could do it with the same success on a technological yeah. and Mac level as this. For sure. Because that's the thing, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with appreciating a culture. There's nothing wrong with wanting to learn more about a culture. There's nothing wrong with even, like, immersing yourself in the culture from the standpoint of, oh, like, I, I really identify with, you know, the philosophies or the ideologies that this culture is, you know, portraying. Mm -hmm. You're never going to be part of that culture, though, right? In the same way that the people who are intrinsically from it and like grow up in it are from that culture i can like k-pop as much as i want I'm never going to be korean right like it's never that's not going to be a thing that's going to happen for me and you see people who like love i mean we're going mean, to say it up front you see white people who really love different cultures and they will just it's not appropriation in the sense of like oh i'm going to like wear my hair like this or i'm going to wear this particular clothing or i'm going to learn this language or whatever it's like what happens in so many of these white savior movies is like oh i'm gonna but i'm gonna make it better right like because i'm a part of it now and i have learned the ways and the ways are pretty easy like there's not really a struggle to it i just kind of do it because i show up and i'm you know naturally acclimated to whatever these things are like i now am the best of these people so much so that like I'm going to lead them out of whatever oppressive situation that they're in, right? Because the thing about, even if we want to extrapolate this out to last summer and, you know, previous summers where you have these big demonstrations of Black people, and you can, you know, apply this also to queer people, you can apply this to women's marches, where, you know, allies are showing up into these situations and they're like, oh, I know what to do. Like, I wait, look, let me get to the front. I have, I let me, can I have the microphone for a second? I have something to say, right? And it's like, no, that's, this isn't about you. If you came here to support, please do that. But like, you don't need to be the face of whatever's happening here. You don't need to be in front of any of this. You don't have to say anything. You can just be a body in the One situation. of many, yeah, you can be one you can of show many. show yeah. support to a situation. But it's it's this, you know, like, it is the white guilt idea of like, oh man, like I see how me or, you know, past ancestors or just like my identity is causing harm to these other people, these other communities. And so like, I feel like I, ha I have to do something, right? Where like a lot of, what, what is Malcolm X? You know, Malcolm X, how can I help you, Malcolm X? What can I do? Nothing. Nothing. Right? Like there's nothing, you can't do anything in the way that you want to do it right in the way that you want to do it which is like i i do something that is like immeasurably helpful like it, it's something that's just like i i do such a, a valiant act that i have effectively solved the problem right like that's you can't that's not going to happen the best thing you can do in a lot of instances is just get out the way right you can you can get out the way you can make space you can consciously do things to assist you know other people in other cultures that you're trying to prop up and help but like to come out and in this way and like 
people do it. Like you see it, you go to these marches or you see videos from these marches and you see people who are very much so Suge Knight, right? All up in the video, like really trying to be like capital A allies. And it's like too much, right? Take a step back, relax, listen, listen to what the people are saying. And never once does it feel like Jake Sully listens to what the Navi people want and how they want to approach things like, and then it's too late, right? Then it's, then the then things have gone completely off the rails. Their tree has been destroyed. Like they are in shambles. And that's the other part, right? Like CCH Pounder's character, I'm forgetting her name in the movie, but she runs up to him. Moat. And it's like, you said you wanted to help us, like help us. And then like cuts him free. And it's what, what is he going to do? Like, what do you believe this man is going to do that's going to stop this? Because if he had the power to stop it, which we learned that he somehow does, right? Like, wouldn't he have done that already? Like, if he really wanted it to stop, he could have stopped it at any time if that, if that was within his purview. But he seemingly lets it get all the way up to the edge where it becomes like, this cataclysmic problem that now he's got to ride a fucking giant dinosaur to solve. Like, it's just like, if you, had... but, but if he solved it in the first act, then there wouldn't be a movie. <laughs> I know yeah. I, I get, I get the movie of it all, but it's just like from a narrative specifically when, and this is, I think probably a good time to just transition into the behind the scenes and the makings of this movie. Like James Cameron has <clears throat> publicly said multiple times that he is drawing on white savior movies specifically you know what i mean and like he doesn't call them white savior movies he says he's drawing on films on strong powerful films about an outsider becoming one with a with a different culture right is basically how he puts it which i'm going to run down some of the movies that he's claimed to have influenced this film and i want you to see if you can spot the trend uh (laughs) pocahontas dances with wolves medicine man the Emerald Forest, The Mission, Fern Gully. I think we're, we're noticing a pattern here. <laughs> what he's talking about with these movies and like he's like he's not shy about it. He did, in fact, write what amounts to basically a 45 page manifesto defending Avatar from various lawsuits that he was under where people were claiming that he stole their ideas or, you know, he was ripping them off. And he basically says, here's the receipts. Um, I've been thinking about Avatar my whole life, you know, basically. And like, he's trying to do a lot of things, right? And, and you know, we can kind of have a, a, a small conversation about big blockbuster films like this trying to have a message. We recently did a Candyman episode, right? Where we we're talking about how the new Candyman was attempting to say a lot of different things within the aspect of a genre film, within the aspect of a horror film and trying to speak to gentrification, trying to speak to being not just black in a, in a white space, but being black and creating art in a mainstream space for white consumption, right? Like it's trying to speak to generational trauma, it's trying to speak to a lot of things, but then at the end of the movie, people have to die, right? Like you gotta, you gotta tie everything together within a horror element. And so James Cameron is here trying to speak about anti-imperialism, imperialism he's trying to speak about um you know environmentalism he's trying to speak about i guess like he's i think he's talking about colonialism too i think i mean he's talking about colonialism he also has made allusions to 
the Iraq war and, you know, the home tree basically being the twin towers and that's like a nine 11 moment and, and all this stuff. So like, he's saying, he's trying to say a lot of things, but then at the end of the movie, Jake Sully has to ride a, a, a dragon and shoot arrows into a spaceship. <laughs> you know what I mean? I so mean, it's not yeah. that those two things are, are can't go together, but it is like, you, you're kind of at the push and pull of, what people expect from an action science fiction movie right. and trying to speak to this larger message. And sometimes those things just kind of smash into each other because all of a sudden it's the third act and things have to blow up, right? Like part of the failure of this film, and I think a lot of films like that that try to like moralize a little bit is that like in a way they're just vehicles to envision and to kind of steep oneself in what can I come up with a bigger scale of destruction that nobody else has thought of before? And here's how I'm going to undestroy it. Right. And so I mean, that is, that's yeah. what's going on in those Marvel movies that you were talking about earlier. I mean, mm -hmm. what in Ultron, they level a whole city. Yeah. We want, we, we want, we want the, the blood on our fangs. And, you know, to me, like, like a Terrence Malick movie, for instance, like then red lion, it's like, you know, it's like, okay, there's this war making a machine that's like destroying people's lives. Right. And, how does a human being find themselves, find their water legs, heal? And it's, it's like going internal. You hear all the voices and you go deeper and deeper inside of this heart and soul of this person. Like, that's interesting. That's that like, is interesting. Um, that's a solution to the problem that like most of these films haven't considered. And like, I think there are other ways to solve this, this kind of problem, this thought, like. I mean, uh, well, I'll take you, I'll take you one further. I'll take you one further. Uh, Terrence Malick, discovered he already dealt with this he he did uh the new world which oh, is right. the, the pocahontas john smith story mm -hmm. and that movie kind of opens i mean it opens quite majestically with that sequence of the english ships coming in mm -hmm. and the native people like literally like what the fuck is going on and the movie over three hours in this case again spans that first like you know incoming wave of people and then you get the John Smith Pocahontas love story, but then John Smith leaves to go back to England and mm -hmm. Pocahontas is left in her new world that has been created as a result vis-a-vis -vis her, you know, love tryst with this person who was able to ingratiate himself with the native people. And that movie ends with the culmination of their love story which is her going back to find him, which she does. But that movie culminates with an, an emotional culmination, whereas you don't, you don't really have space for that in an action tentpole that's right. running on three hours long. You have yeah. to blow some shit up. I don't, yeah. the, the average audience, as far as they're concerned, is not concerned with Neytiri and Jake Sully's like love tryst. Can we can we talk about the love tryst here? Because I think that is probably the worst scene in the film. Like, Jesus Christ, can we talk about it? Because it is bad. It, it's like, well, you know what I mean? Like, generally, like... <laughs> like, generally, sex scenes are no good, especially in movies. Like, they're going to yeah. go for that PG-13 rating. And, yeah. like, but then you're dealing with people who, like, 
are kind of have this native garb, but like, what about their genitals? And they're always kind of semi obscured, but you're like, this movie if, is so iffy. Yeah. <laughs> on that like, stuff. If this movie was really punk rock, like nipples would be out like all day. Like, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? And then like, you those got necla- like, those necklaces are strong. They're stiff. They aren't going anywhere. And then like, you know, the way they commune is making the bond with their like with the, ponytail their ponytails. Thing. And, no. But then he's still like, on top and then there's like <laughs> they did this like helicopter like crane shot from above to oh, like man. obscure the fact that like nobody actually wants to think about like what they're doing right now and it doesn't right. look good it looks fake it, it, it was not sensual at all it was it's that was not yeah that's really be, weird yeah. and you know what's even weirder it's it's watching it on disney plus which is a highly <laughs> censored and neutered streaming service and then i got yep. this movie where i'm like Every five minutes, I'm pretty sure I'm seeing a CG titty. I'm, well, I'm pretty sure I am. Let me give you a little bit of behind the scenes about that because, oh God, this is I want to know actually. <laughs> this is some weird stuff, you know. Like, I'm trying to find verification of, of a lot of these things, but this is from the IMDb trivia section. So, oh, we love that, you know, make of it what you will in terms of veracity, but. One of the tidbits of this movie is, despite understanding the Navi are not placental mammals, James Cameron insisted from the start that Natiri should have breasts so as to look hot from a human's point of view. Fuck out of here. Um, and to go even a step further, this is from Roger Ebert's four-star review of Avatar, where he says, like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, Avatar employs a new generation of special effects. Cameron said it would said it would and many doubted him and it does pandora is very largely cgi the navi are embodied through motion picture capture techniques convincingly and they look like specific persuasive individuals yet sidestep the eerie uncanny valley effect and cameron and his artists succeeded the difficult challenge of making the terry a blue-skinned giantess with golden eyes and a long supple tail and yet i'll be damned sexy (laughs) roger ebert wanted to fuck that (laughs) <laughs> is what he's trying to say hey and roger ebert is married to a black woman just so you know right but i think that's one of the other weird things about this movie is how sexualized the navi are in a way oh, that it's just like hell yes they are it's not even that they're you know blue alien people but it's just like no, what if you went to, if you, went you to, trying to- <laughs> if you went to like tribal West Coast Africa, like you would see people with their, like you'd see strong people with their physiques out. Right. Like they're not wearing many clothes, A, because it's hot, and B, because that's what they wear. So here, the, the one part of uh, tribal culture he decided to take and decided to exploit was literally their bodies yeah was literally their black bodies because the navi are played by black people mostly that, that, yeah. that's a weird part like all yeah. the black actors you know that are playing and even black and native, native what, you know what yeah, i mean what studio is in this movie yeah yeah it's kind of like because that, and that's a that's a that's a signature you're doing something by casting him in this movie mm-hmm. yeah 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 i mean it, it, that part is like couldn't we get like two or three of those actors on the human side? You know what I mean? Like, nope. you, you know what I mean? Like that part of it, you start thinking like, oh, this is a, a real deal. Like white fantasy of like nativism and like, oh, hell yeah. you know what I mean? Like you just, 
the natives are beautiful and sexy and some of their titties are up, but they're wearing necklaces that obscure them because this movie's PG-13. I'm, I'm cool with them, you know, having a body. You know, I actually was, you know, when, because uh, uh, there's so much detail in the film, like on the skin, there's a little skin lights up and there's just like all the, like the ground. Yeah. Like if you yeah. watch like the film as many times as I have, you'll see like all these like, <laughs> amazing touches, right? And like one of them is like, as they walk, the, the tails kind of wag. You know what I mean? And, and like, yeah, so it kind of like animal, you know, like when someone gets more excited, there's like a little more emotion. So I was like looking out for like during the sex, you know, leading up to it, was the tail going to get like, was it wag? <laughs> mm-hmm. but like the tail behavior was like totally normal. Like during that scene, I was just like, huh, like it was, if there's like a physiological thing happening, wouldn't the tail behave differently? That was like a, right. a, a low key, like deep dive kind of critique I had of the film. I, the racial politics, like the the side of it, where it's like you have all these great black actors and you can't even see their faces, and then all the actors whose faces we can see are white, except for the one Indian dude who gets left behind. You know, yeah. I got a problem with that. Well, and Michelle Rodriguez, I guess. And she, Michelle Rodriguez, yeah, briefly yeah. shows up to yeah. I mean, quickly get through some of uh, James Cameron's inspirations behind this movie. He has cited many, 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 many things. You know, he cites Lawrence of Arabia, story of an in his words, uh, an outsider encounters and immerses into a foreign culture and then ultimately joins that group to fight other outsiders. He cites a lot of just like pulp films and pulp uh, stories like Tarzan and John Carter and all of these other things where it's basically like this white person goes a lone white man goes goes to a fictional land and becomes their number one warrior. Right. That's both those. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Again, he's talking about Dances with Wolves, The Man Who Would Be King, The Mission, Emerald Forest, Medicine Man, The Jungle Book, Fern Gully. There's many, many, many other things uh, he throws in there. This and... movie is wild. It's Fern Gully, bro. It's like, it's yeah, it's mostly Fern Gully, though, which is the gross part. In terms of Natiri and Sully's relationship, he says, Cameron describes Natiri as his Pocahontas. Uh, saying that his plotline followed the historical story of a white outsider who falls in love with the chief's daughter, who becomes his guide to the tribe and to their special bond with nature. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of that, right? When we get to <laughs> the reception of this movie, though, currently on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has an 81 percent. I'd say that's that's about right. I would agree with an 80 81 percent. Currently on. Uh, IMDb with 1.2 million ratings. It has a 7.8 and critics loved it. I mean, again, I told you Roger Ebert gave it four out of four stars. I mean, he basically says this movie made me feel the same way I did when I saw Star Wars in 77. I'll give him that. That feels real. You look at a lot of, I mean, I think there is, there is at the time, 2009, definitely you can see it, right? Because it's, it's, at that time, there had never been a movie like this before. Like this was no, not even close. This was the biggest movie anyone had ever seen. Yeah, one of a kind film. I mean, if we're talking about the budget of this movie, it was two hundred thirty-seven million dollars, and that's on top of a hundred fifty million dollar marketing budget. Um, God damn! But I, I'm pretty sure that this film was like partly independently financed. Like I think nobody wanted to go with him. Yeah, there is behind the scenes drama in terms of this was a movie. This was the movie that after he made Titanic, they were like, what movie do you want to make next? And he was like, Avatar. (laughs) And 
and they were like okay and you know he and they were like bro <laughs> yeah i want to make a movie just as expensive as the movie i just made for you and fox was not about it for a good amount of time like again this movie did take 14 years in terms of like him coming around from titanic to fully conceiving it but the big thing was he fox at one point said no we're not making this movie he was like bet okay let's go see what disney has to say about that and then fox used their uh right of refusal to say okay wait a minute let's come back and talk about this movie because we don't want disney to make this movie and make a lot of money <laughs> hold up wait 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 you know <laughs> yeah and you know ironic turn of events disney buys fox uh right <laughs> a couple of years later but <laughs> yeah if you look at the reception in terms of awards that this movie was up for and that they won it is a long list let me pull this up real quick because i remember they, i will say i remember it being nominated for 10 academy awards which i thought was just fucking egregious but uh, let's see. winning winning three because i remember it won cinematography which yeah. i'm like one of those guys who watches like youtube videos of like every cinematography winner Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember when, you know, uh, Roma won or remember when, you know, uh, I guess cinematography so that's Blade Runner mm -hmm. uh, 2049. That's yeah. um, Inception one. Inception, Lawrence of Arabia also won cinematography. So, like, these are important milestones in, like, the way cinema looks, right? Yep. <laughs> and Avatar, rightfully so, honestly, is the next step in that and i yeah. get at least it, i agree with its win there well let's see it's nominated for best picture best director best art direction best cinematography best film editing best original score best sound editing best sound mixing and best visuals and it wins for art direction cinematography and best visual effects i give it those three yeah that sounds about right um, but editing is wild like editing is wild i'd say like yeah yeah i don't know yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, it won the right ones. I can't remember what movies would have won director or best picture that year. I, it's not a best picture type film. And, you know, for all the reasons we're talking about, like the kind of yeah. philosophically, it's not really a groundbreaking movie. So, you know, best picture that year actually. Oh, well, here you go. Well, yeah, best picture an... that year actually goes to his ex-wife yeah. for The Hurt Locker. That oh, was the narrative. Which I actually thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that actually. Yeah, I remember that being like, oh shit, like they used to be married. Getting a little spicy. And the biggest movie in the world beat like a tiny, what, um, uh, adaptation of a book about war mm -hmm. that was actually like pretty. I remember seeing her locker in the theater and I thought that was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, a I fine film. Great film. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. like, you know, I mean, to me, like a lot of this film had like these kind of pastiche moments of movies we've seen before for instance like you know the the prison bust out scene like how many movies yeah. have we seen somebody bust out sure. of prison and that's why it kind of felt paint by numbers it was so quick like they're in the prison there's that one shot and then she like comes and busts them out real quick and you're kind of like okay great yeah. you know or um there's a scene where the where the tree is falling there's like a bunch of those shots of like the person running like yeah you'll see people running or you'll yeah. see the faces of uh, natives like, like oh my god it's like right yeah. out of Spielberg, you know what I mean? Like Temple yep. of Doom, like, you know, Indiana Jones, like all those shots is like somebody running as a big thing falls behind them. It's, you know, was like 
so yeah. you, you know even like some of the flying stuff felt very star wars-esque you know mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. the fact that the akron scene is beautiful like because i really hadn't seen anything like that i haven't seen like the how to train your dragon movies and i can't remember if those came out before this but i think one of them possibly did but that idea of flight was beautifully rendered and i appreciated the fact that like the first time we see Natiri on the flying it's always from his perspective from jake sully's perspective like mm-hmm. we see it but we're not in it and then we're not in it really we can tell how beautiful it is and then we're in it when he's on it so that scene i felt like was cinematically uh, innovative but like a lot of the shots and stuff like even you know giovanna rubisi playing golf in the office like how many times have we seen like you know yeah. wisecracking white ceo type guy playing golf in the office like you know what i mean there were like these these kind of a lot of pieces that we'd seen before they're bigger in scale than yeah. we'd seen them done but they were things that we had seen before and so like that part of it it's like i mean i think every movie always inherently is going to copy from other films mm-hmm. but like <laughs> the the ones where i felt like i i like caught the reference like really quickly was like oh like you know this is like really successful in execution but like mm-hmm. in terms of originality that vector was was kind of like you know like they took a thing that we've seen and made it bigger but it wasn't like right. a new thing we'd never seen before yeah well as we go along uh it gets nominated for a bunch of stuff at the british academy film awards it's nominated for best film best director best music best cinematography best editing best production design best sound <laughs> best special visual effects just wins best production design and special visual effects there. But when you go down to the Golden Globes, RIP Golden Globes, it gets nominated for best director, best film, best original score, best original song, and it wins best film and best director. And then when you go down to the Saturn Awards, which is like the big special, like science fiction award show, it is nominated for best science fiction film, best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, best supporting actress, best director, best writing, best music, best production design, best special effects. It wins all of those awards. It won the acting awards? Yes. They gave awards to Sam Worthington, if you can't believe it. They gave awards Maybe that honestly, I, I, yo. Zoe Zaldana, Stephen Lang. Sam Worthington's performance, I know you gave him credit earlier, but Sam Worthington's performance in this movie is hard to watch, bro. He is so flat. He's so flat and unaffected. And I know it's he can't keep his accent either. He no, he tries. He tries and then he gives up halfway through the movie. He's Australian, yeah. right? He's yeah. Australian. And they also shot the movie in Australia. So it doesn't help that like he's surrounded by his <laughs> native accent all day and yeah. then has to fake it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but his performance is so flat and so lifeless. It's supposed to be the avatar. For it's supposed to be the audience avatar, literally, mm-hmm. but he's so lifeless that I'm like, why would you make that decision, bro? Do you even care about the decision you made? Like, do you even care? Like, I spent half the mo- I spent more than half the movie just worried about like how, wh- why, why are you doing it? Do you care? Well, the thing but- about it is James Cameron put him in the movie. Like the studio. <laughs> more- I mean, you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Named- yeah, they wanted named they wanted like Matt Damon or. I was about to say Matt Damon would be perfect for this. Like yeah, Matt, Matt Damon, Damon would actually be great for this. He would never do it though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's but, too big for this movie. Yeah. He's too yeah. big for this movie. Yeah. James Cameron insisted on a unknown actor because he felt like that would help 
people be immersed into the story. That works sometimes. That, that works you know, a lot somebody, of times, actually. Yeah. I like, I think Sam Worthington is like fine. You know what I mean? Like, I, th- I thought he had a couple of good scenes. The actor who plays um, the Colonel is Ooh, amazing. He was Stephen I, Lang. Stephen yeah. Lang. Yeah. Talk yeah. about a guy chewing the scenery, man. He, yeah. he understood the assignment. And- <laughs> your, boy, your boy understood the assignment perfectly. Yeah. Went all for it. That's like a, a iconic kind of villain performance. Yeah. And and then like it's interesting, Michelle Rodriguez like kind of just like reprises her Fast and the Furious roles, but like kind of like a, she does Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, she yeah. She, she gives you like 85%. You know what I mean? And, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, she's also a classic James Cameron character. Like if she yeah, was in an, yeah. an alien movie, like you wouldn't bat an eye. Like that's the same. She she could be Sigourney Weaver, yeah. you know, 20 years prior yeah yeah like she's great uh, in it but it's also like she's just doing her normal role so you're kind of like like would another director have gotten more out of her like you kind of wonder yeah. that or given her more to do honestly yeah, she doesn't really have a lot yeah um most interesting award this movie won didn't know this was a thing but here you go it won pita's proggy award for outstanding feature film hmm. sure why not so <laughs> this that's the one he really wanted right PETA has a progress awards that they give out to media, I guess. I think this would be a good part for us to transition into what we would do differently if we were to remake this movie. So Rafi, as our guest, do you have any ideas? I mean, you know, the one thing that I've always wondered is like, what is the connection between the human and the avatar body, right? Like to get inside the link, and it goes and then like they're in the avatar but like is, is it yeah is it radio <laughs> waves like it's it's, it has to be radio waves but like we just we really have no explanation of like how the avatar body is getting the signal from the you know the human body and like i just have all <laughs> kinds of thoughts about that kind of stuff because isn't like like wasn't the like, like the heisenberg principle like one of those like like deep like physics things where you can like make an electron appear like like the uncertainty principle like there's like shit like this like uncanny that i think would be really interesting to know like like how how deep was the thinking in terms of the connection between the thought of the human and the avatar body and how that works um mm. I, I would just love to know the mechanics of that um so you want to see a movie about dr grace's like actual research all that what she did that- yeah, because she was also like, you know, there's like an internet of plants, basically, like the plants are communicating. She understood that. Yeah, and like, you know, she's a scientist. And like, the science of this world is really fascinating to me. Like the floating, you know, like the floating little... The floating planet. mountains? Yeah, and I'm like... I thought that was fit. I, I was thought like, that was cool. I mean, it definitely looks cool, but I'm like, is that possible? Because I know they've done like a lot of, you know, he's like a science nerd himself, uh, Cameron. I mean, you know, all the deep water exploration that he did, he built his own... Um, he built the tank for the abyss. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I know this dude has put a lot of thought into that. So, some part of me w- would be interested in like some of the more nerdy details of like the physical world. Um, number two, I don't know. Like, we need them to fall in love, Natiri and 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 Jake Sully. But like, the way that it was realized was just like so like unsatisfying. And you know, and with the sex scene that didn't work, and just like. And then she's just like, 
you know, her family dies and she's like, no, you're done. I'm done with you. And then like he shows back up and she's like good with him again. And so there's just like this, like, like her character, I felt like needed a little bit more depth or layer or something like we we needed to see like what their thing was you know between them like that they really had that like made them work as a couple yeah like every couple has their thing that's like just them you know what i'm saying and like i want to know more about that so that relationship i felt like could be better um like the the prison bust out sequence you know that one was just a weak point um and either like skip ahead and find a way that that like they just break out on the way back to the prison and we don't have to do it you know what I mean or like this it, it was like so fast and so easy that it, it didn't feel real you know what I'm saying um you know there's in the every frame of painting he talks about with Luke Skywalker when he fails to be able to you know raise the x-wing out of the water and like that sense of failure and he, he kind of uh director leaves it for like 30 seconds you know like a true failure you know it's like here like they failed they're in prison like take us there emotionally so that like when the bust out happens it has more value because it was just like we just see the one shot and it's like bang bang um so you know that was that was one um that could work better for me i personally love the way that ends you know like when i was in film school one of my professors used to say you know uh a character either changes or they they die and like the best way is to have the change happen at the climax and so like you know we're like we you know we've already seen grace fail to like inhabit the the avatar body and we're trying it once again very corny scene by the way where they're like where the people like doing the side to side move like i would change that i would find a different dance for, for the navi to do like that's very corny scene but like whatever they do it again jake is there the eye opens at the end like that was great it was a great last shot for the film i, I give him that great first shot flying through the mountains so um uh yeah, really really great bookends yeah 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 um but mm-hmm. you know i also you know that whole first sequence when he's in the bar fights with the guy in his narrow little apartment wheelchair across the street like something about every single one of those scenes looked corny as fuck to me like i don't know what it was like the set the fucking you know whatever like and we know james cameron can do a great bar scene because terminator has a great bar like tech is like an amazing bar so i'm not even worried about this guy designing a dope bar he just didn't happen to do it in avatar like the bar the street like that whole first five minutes visually is like buchinche to me so i would just change all that (laughs) and then like I also like, in my opinion, I need a I need a laugh somewhere in this movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this movie is deathly unfunny. You didn't they, laugh at Meals on Wheels? No, Bruh. that great that great line. <laughs> Bruh. I, there, there's laughter like when him and Interior are running around falling, you know, falling in love. There's there, we hear other people laugh. Hey, Meals on Wheels. <laughs> We hear people laughing, but there's not anything that's actually funny in the whole film. There's and not a there's not one single joke in it. This movie takes itself incredibly seriously. Yeah. So I I, I need a laugh. Somebody's somebody like may there's a couple almost laughs in the interplay between Jake and Grace, but like it's not funny. It's just you can tell there's a sense of humor in their style. I need a laugh. So that's my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cameron, what about you? 
Well, honestly, I change like one thing and it, it would honestly just be the perspective of the movie. I would change the perspective of the movie to the Navi. Mm-hmm. I would want to see, see it. My biggest problem with the whole like Pocahontas of it all is that like Terrence Malick did it in the new world where that story is literally from her point of view. It's from the natives point of view. You don't get too many movies that are like that. Most of the movies are set from the perspective of the person going to go colonize. The person on the boat was like, those people over there are too dumb. We're going to wipe them out, start over again. I want, I want the point of view of the people who were minding their whole business. Mm. And then suddenly people showed up with guns and tanks on their, on their planet. Mm. And I think Avatar had such an awesome and i don't mean awesome like Ugh, cool but i mean awesome like spectacle wise mm-hmm. such an awesome task ahead of it to tell such a big story right so why not be the first you know to tell the story from the perspective of the natives give yourself that chance to be like singular in that sense if the movie is going to be such a singular experience give the audience a singular experience i i, I get that we need like an avatar character like an audience avatar character for us to experience the movie through but literally like i don't see anything wrong with putting yourself in somebody else's shoes i mean i watch tons of foreign films all the time i Mm -hmm. see i know plenty of regular ass people who love city of god and have never been to brazil right yeah so why can't you do it in the biggest movie that's going to play all over the globe put yourself in the native's shoes and experience this treachery, which it is from their, from their point of view. If it's so ugly and it's so horrifying to see, put us in that situation to empathize with that, that horror. You think Fox is really going to give James Cameron $237 million to make that movie? (laughs) (laughs) Dude, one of, I mean, uh, I mean, how many studios wouldn't give people money to make simpler movies, bro? Yeah. You know, so I know you're you're right with saying that, but at the same time, like that's the more interesting story. And it mm-hmm. like like I think I've even said it before on this podcast. Like I watch movies to see a world that I've never seen before. Show me something I've never seen before. Not necessarily a world or show me the subway, but from a new point of view. You know what I mean? Show me, yeah, show me my life from somebody else's point of view. Me as a black man, I go to the movies and I experience like white people's lives, right? Avatar's biggest missed opportunity was that I didn't get to see it from the Navi's perspective. Yeah. Uh, if I had to remake this movie, I would not. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I, I would pass. <laughs> I would put $237 million towards something else. If you forced me to remake this movie, I would go <laughs> along with what you were saying, Cameron, where... Yeah, let's see it from the Navi perspective. Just take Sam Worthington's character out entirely. Out. out. Uh, and no really... shade to your boy if I end up working with him some way. But like, <laughs> bro, like, yeah, no. I mean, it could, it could be like a handicapped Navi who like somehow like rehabilitates. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. I can empathize with that. I can get yeah. on that. Or even, you know, like there's a lot of interesting stories to tell about not just you know colonization but like what they are going through as just 
I guess. I don't know what they're not humans. They're aliens. They're creatures. They're a different species. Whatever it is that they're they're going through with their planet, yeah. uh, because you know they do have that very innate connection to nature. So, and you know, there's a really cool idea that they don't follow through on, except I guess to like use as like a like a Wi-Fi upload for uh, <laughs> Consci- <laughs> consciousness. So yeah, Sigourney Weaver and Sam Worthington is like, you know, their ancestors are in those trees. Like they're able to speak to those who have passed on. Yeah. Like as if they were, you know, like that, there's a whole movie right there that they just kind of brush aside. If I was in an avatar body, like if I Wi-Fi downloaded into an avatar body and then was like, you know, going to go to temple or mosque or church with the Navi people and I like downloaded my braid into the tree. God knows what I would see. I would be terrible. Like people pray on this planet to a God they've never seen in their lives, yeah. you know, and they've never seen any, they've never seen anything beyond the church walls, bro. If you downloaded your braid into a tree and it showed you your ancestors, my brain would explode <laughs> instantly, <laughs> instantly. I well, kind of want to see that a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. that'd be dope. That'd be crazy. That'd let's be crazy. Uh, let's round into our ranking of this movie where it falls on our capacity meter. Yeah. All, right. All right, three different levels for this. So we'll we'll introduce <laughs> them to you, Rafi, and then you can let us know where you think you feel Avatar lands on the capacity scale. The first scale level is shorts in the winter, which is basically like okay, you know, you've made a choice and it's not affecting me <laughs> in a negative way, but it is interesting that you decided to do that. You have to be cold. I don't. It's it's why. January. We know you're cold. Don't yeah, play. There's snow on the ground. Like it's. And you're wearing sandals and shorts. Your, your <laughs> open feet are touching the snow. So not doing harm to me actively, but I'm, I'm curious about your life decisions, right? The second level would be, um, this movie is touching my hair, which basically amounts well, to, okay, like now, now you're in my personal space. You are affecting me in a negative way. Yeah. Miss it's me not, with that. Yeah. Not the worst thing that's ever happened to me, but definitely not something I'm enjoying. And I wish you would stop post haste. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> third level is, I guess we're going to keep rolling with Chris Martin's cover of Pony, yeah. which is just like, just you've, you've done something. Uncomfortable unforgivable yeah. it's an like, act of violence <laughs> yes this is i i'm never going to forgive you for this i'm never going to forget that you did this this has caused harm to people in in many different ways and i'm you know i there's there's really no coming back from this in my book so where do you think avatar lands on that scale i mean i'm i'm firmly in shorts in the winter territory i mean like <laughs> i i personally like you know like even a movie like hangover part three to me is like chris martin you know you know like there are there are movies that are seemingly innocuous that for me like are touching my hair you know what i'm saying where this one maybe it's because the people are blue maybe it's because there's so (laughs) many black actors like i'm like you know it's very white but it doesn't like it's not grotesque to me Okay. okay cameron uh I, I feel like I fluctuate between shorts in the winter and touching my hair mm-hmm. just because I can't not see the Pocahontas of it all. I can't 
not see the inherent colonization of it all. However, I I have to stay in the movie for the epic that it is. Like, even though there's like a lot of plot holes towards the end 40 minutes, I'm still in it. And I like, I know you guys watched it in chunks, in two chunks. Yeah. But I watched it in one three hour sitting and I was totally and I was totally fine with it. I was like, all right, bet like this is an interesting experience. You're blatantly playing with colonization kind of like in a toy box and a sandbox a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like that. But but, you know, it was a cool watch still. So. If not for the fact that it was the highest grossing box office film of all time i would say this movie is touching my hair right like yeah i would go with this movie is touching my hair because on this it's nothing we haven't seen before right doing a lot of things that these movies are known for it wouldn't be offensive in any real way as a film i don't find it like as a film speaking strictly like narratively plot wise and all that stuff i don't find yeah. it to be interesting in any way (laughs) but you know as a as a cultural touchstone and as like a landmark moment in the same way that lord of the rings was in the same way that in the same way that like the star wars prequels were where like nobody's going to look back on those and say wow like great films but they're going to say wow like that was a moment in film that did change film specifically from a special effects standpoint and all that stuff like that Mm -hmm. was a leap forward and stuff avatar as as a crucial point in film where you see a leap forward not only in terms of just the way that films are made right like this big transition into doing a lot of digital cgi photography and all that stuff and you know like james cameron has built crazy sound stages even right now somewhere in australia he's in a fish tank with a camera filming avatar four and five at the present moment (laughs) four and five are being filmed right now whichever one is coming next so you know, like there's there's a lot you have to give Avatar in terms of a technical standpoint. I am going to have to say that this movie for me is Chris Martin's cover of Pony simply because it is the highest grossing movie of all time. Which <laughs> I feel like that does make it dangerous, right? Like there is an inherent danger in that. Oh, yeah. When this movie, which is basically the white savior movie, just copy pasted, put into space is like still like this movie came out in 2009 right like this movie yeah came out a long and and with the accolade of being the highest grossing movie of all time will ensure that it continues to be viewed until it is no longer the highest grossing movie of all time like people will have Mm -hmm. to see it because they'll say this movie is the highest grossing movie of all time well let me watch it like what is this about and so it's going to (laughs) continue to perpetuate until something whatever marvel creation comes along and knocks it off and then I guess they'll just re-release it in China again to reclaim the top spot. You know, we'll see how that game of whack-a-mole goes. But yeah, I think it on itself in a vacuum, touching my hair to shorts in the winter, but in a larger conversation about how these movies continue to perpetuate the same stereotypes and the same problematic issues and having it be a movie that more people in the world have seen than any other, you know, just given that it's the highest grossing movie of all time, it does not sit right with me in that sense. So um, 
I think now we're we're getting close to wrapping up. But before we go, I do want to have us recommend some movies that people should watch instead. And I will go first in that respect because I think <laughs> there, there is a movie that you wouldn't make the correlation between them, but because of how this movie moves and operates and the main conceit of it, there is some similarities in that. And I would say go back and watch Get Out again because Get Out does what this movie does in reverse where it is white people trying to get into black bodies to inhabit them, to become them, to take over them for just, but it's, we're not, we're cutting all the the filler away and getting right to what that's about. And so, you know, you're getting the horror of this body swap, you're getting the, and like the idea, right, of like, you are trapped in this body while this other person is now basically piloting your body and living your life, right? And so you're kind of seeing in ways that you you do see when you do watch like a Iggy Azalea or some of these other people <laughs> who are just very like putting on black. I mean, like when we watch White Man's Burden, you're seeing John Travolta full black scent, full everything, like what it's like to watch yourself and how people perceive you to be, you know, which is a, a horror in itself at times. So, you know, for for sticking with that body swap aspect of it and specifically like that that cultural voyeurism that uh avatar has a bit of like that these two things again not movies that you would necessarily immediately associate with each other but that's that's kind of what came to mind for me uh and i I just like get out a lot always worth a rewatch yeah rafi what do you think it is interesting i hadn't thought of any parallels um i think you know it made me think of like what movie could i think of where there's a hero trapped between two worlds who rebels and uh and successfully does it and with a kind of political point of view that i agree with more and the film i came up with maybe kind of corny but do the right thing you know mm-hmm. you have mookie who works at the the you know at the pizza shop and like is abiding by the rules and like there are these rules that maybe aren't perfect for him and then there's the rules of the block rules of the street that's really where he comes from um but there's an inherent tension between these two worlds and he essentially has to choose a side and he ends up choosing the side of you know his community um but there's also an interesting love story there's plenty of laughs which avatar has none of cinematically (laughs) um realized in a beautiful way and um and just shows that that kind of person reached the point where they can't take it anymore and and they're gonna have to lash out and um and uh i just think that character's evolution is much more round and has much more depth um than than jake Sully's character for sure cameron you got one um i think i'll stick with uh terrence malick's the new world just because I thought it was, a it's beautiful. A it's mm-hmm. like really <laughs> kind of beautiful. It's, I mean, that's that's a given with a Terrence Malick movie. Like it's gonna that, be, it's gonna be gorgeous to look at. Um, it's also three hours, so it it can fill the same. If you're thinking <laughs> of watching Avatar, stop, pump your brakes. You want to spend the same amount of time watching a real life story. Um, better acted, I honestly think. Um, and like I said, from this perspective of the native people, like we start that movie with the native people and we end it with that woman. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like 
we already know what the colonizer's story is, right? I came here. I did what I did. Maybe I left. Maybe I stayed, right? Right. But there's always what's left of the people you inherently pushed out. And I'm more interested in that story almost every time. So I think that's that's a good place to start. Yeah. Well, Rafi, thank you so much for coming on and and talking with us. I know. Yeah, man. Know, <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. He- hearing me slander Avatar for. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was ready for this to be a cage match for real. The, when you told me <laughs> that you love this movie or you really stand for this movie, I was like, all right, bet. Because I yeah. know. Jordan has no interest in watching it. I remember every time I brought it up to you on the podcast or about <laughs> watching it on the podcast, you're like, okay, all right. Yeah. And I'm like, I was just ready for the two worlds to collide. That's I'm glad Look, I got that. We're, we're all about intelligent, thoughtful, nuanced conversation. So, you know, it was never going to be coming in here hot at, at Rafi for <laughs> enjoying Avatar. It was going to be any any heat i had would solely be aimed at avatar itself so word 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 but uh rafi tell us a little bit about your work and where we can find you on the internet and anything that you're working on now uh so i'm i'm kind of poised between two worlds right now i spent the last two decades working in film industry uh worked on a couple projects with cam as a matter of fact um a sci-fi one that's super duper dope as a matter of fact don't check that reconnections reconnections baby you can fit that and do the right thing in the the amount of time that you it took (laughs) avatar a hundred percent and um but you know i i uh for the last year i've been working on a project that i kind of had been nurturing along for quite some time before that called unarmed And it's a project kind of dedicated to victims of police violence, black victims of police violence, um, and takes the medium of sports jerseys. And so uh, 2013 was the first one I did. I designed a jersey for Trayvon Martin. And uh, the team name is Unarmed, you know, on the front of the jersey. The number is the person's age of the Trayvon Martin jersey. It's a number 17. Um, The colors come from the person's local sports team. So the Breonna Taylor jersey is in uh, University of Louisville colors. And um, if there are stars on the jersey, it represents how many times the person was shot. So uh, I have a Sean Bell jersey, number 23, New York Knicks colors, 50 stars. Um, so Unarmed is just an art project that I've been doing um, kind of intermittently on social media, but uh, it's turned into a little bit more than that as I've brought the artwork to cities across the country and, and I'm now making garments and I've actually physically made one of the garments, which is just like this really cool feeling of like, you know, you can hang out, go to the barbecue, wear a jersey, like it looks dope, all that kind of stuff. But it also kind of carries the social message about uh, what we're doing. So you can find more of me and of that project at unarmed.co or unarmedco on, on Instagram. And um, my name, Rafi Rivero, everything. I got the dot com, got the Twitter, got the IG um, <laughs> with, with my name. So uh, either one of those places is good. Yeah, I wish I had some applause drop to put in there. Yeah. We'll have to maybe we'll do that in the in the post edit, but that's tremendous work, and I, I definitely applaud you and commend you for that. And definitely, everybody should check that out because that's that's some important stuff. So, um, Cameron, what about you? What do you have going on for the people? Damn, <laughs> follow that. <laughs> I know, right? I make comedy. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, I make comedy with a group to, called Two Karen with Love. You can find them at twokarenwithlove.com on our YouTube page. Um, I have a feature coming out soon. Holy crap. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we just, well, apparently my director just said we're coming close out of the edit bay where he's screening now. So maybe that might hit the festival circuit soon. But yeah, you can uh, find me acting in different places on the internet. I make cooking videos with McCormick Spice and uh, hire me. I'll do a thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, oh, tell, tell the people where they can find you on the on the internet. Oh, and uh, the Blipster 1138 or the Blipster, no numbers at Twitter on Twitter and Instagram, respectively. Yeah, gotta gotta keep keep plugging, keep selling. That's right. Um, You're right. <laughs> uh, I'm Jordan Clark. Speaking of selling, you know, I never do this, and I always like you know kind of mini plug at the end, but I never tell people like where to find stuff that I've done before. You can. Sure. If, <laughs> I've written some comics before. If you yeah. enjoy DC comics, I've written some Aquaman comics. Uh, most recently, sixty-two and sixty-three. Uh, I've done some stuff for Bitch Planet, the Bitch Planet triple feature. You can find me in there. You can find one of my stories in Star Wars Adventures number four, which came out uh, earlier Woo! this year. And then I've got some 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 projects that are nearing uh, a different stage, meaning that you know they might be in production soon. So uh be on the lookout for that but if you want to hit me up i'm jr sosa 18 jr sosa 18 on twitter and on instagram you can reach out to us at the show if you want to get in touch with us at white pod or white underscore pod on twitter and you can email us all of your hot takes all of your opinions at white people won't save you pod at gmail.com so we're we're definitely looking for to those uh PETA emails <laughs> come on with it coming in the future but again rafi thank you so much for joining us and, yes thank uh, you man i appreciate it yeah, yeah everybody yeah, thank you so gosh. much thanks so much for listening we'll catch you next week peace 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 You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved.